You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. This is podcast is about the story of Australian men and women, the coaches that we entrust to develop our players and our teams. And in the main, these stories haven't been told. We're honoured today to have Belinda Wilson. Belinda's a, an Aussie who's currently the Senior Technical Development Manager for women at, uh, Women's Football at FIFA, based in a very autumnal Zurich, as we'll, I'm sure we'll find that out in a little while. Um, Belinda's fell in love with football at Byron Bay Football Club at Football Far I keep going to say Far North Queensland. That's not right. No. Football Far North. Football Far North Coast. Football Far North Coast. That's what it is. Yeah. My apologies, Football Far North Coast. That's where she <laughs> fell in fell in love with the game. Had trouble playing the game early on because she was a girl, um, and then ended up as a twelve year old playing in the women's team. Coached her brother's junior team. And then went on into a, a range of different things, including go, heading off to Asia with the Asian Football Confederation, um, where she worked in a technical role, headed off to club football in Norway, where she's also a director with Curva Football, ended up in Guam as the Guam National Technical Director and the National Team Coach. Um, also won a premiership with um, Brisbane Raw, played in a championship game at Brisbane Raw. Um, has worked as a consultant with FIFA, been on the technical uh, panel at um, Olympic Games and World Cups, and is now in, in the current role based in Zurich. And for a very short period of time, headed off she, to Zurich, she set another record for football far north coast, got it right this time, where she um, was appointed as the head coach of the women, uh, of the men's team that play in the Premier League in football on football far north coast. Long introduction, messed up a couple of those things. Apologies. G'day, Belinda no. Wilson. <laughs> no apologies. Thank you, Gary. Um, most uh, honoured to be here. How's autumnal how's Zurich treating you right now? Um, yeah, it's great. It's just the weather's not so nice. It's uh, very cold, even though it's uh, not even winter yet. We're down to 10 degrees today. But uh, uh Zurich's amazing. Switzerland, Switzerland's amazing. Um, the people, uh, just just the scenery. It's beautiful. Um, I am landlocked, which is a little bit different. I've, I'm used to seeing the ocean, but uh, <laughs> there's a lake nearby, so it's okay. Can't, you can't surf on the lake, though. I'm guessing. Or maybe no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, surf, surfing was a part of your your background as a kid growing up, yeah. 100% it was. Uh, living in Byron Bay, it's not something that you don't do. So surfing <laughs> almost every day. <laughs> so so you're a, a surfer at heart. Fam I'm guessing the family was in and around the surf. Where did your love of football come from? Uh, it was a trip that we did. Um, we went to England. We were to visit my family. Uh, we were there for three months and Every Saturday afternoon was sitting in front of the TV watching this game and I had no idea what the game was, but um, I had no idea who was playing. I didn't know the rules, but the enjoyment that I got just sitting with the family with all the, the passion and everything that was happening was just huge. And this was happening every Saturday. It was just like a known little party. And then um, by the end of that three months, I was a Manchester United fan. Um, and then I came that. back to... You're right. I came back to Australia and uh, um, while I was in England, we went. I was also going to school and uh, it, the school, they allowed me to play football. So then I started to see and, and, and be involved with it and then I came yeah. back to Australia and, 
came back to Byron and went to the club and wanted to sign up and they said no. <laughs> so I was like, oh. So I ended up at the fields because we didn't live too far away from the fields um, and I ended up coming down to the field every almost every Saturday to watch my cousin play. And and then I, in doing the research for this, it says that you started to coach your um, your brother's team from under sixes through to about under thirteens. Is that is that the case? And how, how on earth did that come about? Yeah, so um, obviously I'd loved the game, and my brother was uh, is a ten or eleven years younger than me, and um, he got to play football, and I, I still wasn't allowed, but. Um, he came home from school. I came home from school and he's like, you're going to be my coach. You're going to be my coach. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. You're, I've got better things to do. And mom's just like, yeah, you're going to be his coach. And I'm like, I can't say no to my mom. So I'm like, okay. So a little five-year-old, yeah, brother just was like, yeah, you're going to be my coach. And I'm like, oh, dude, Saturday mornings, no. Yeah. The way all good coach recruiting happens at community football clubs, eh? Yeah, yeah. So, no, it was great. It was great. I mean, um, I loved it. Um, that same year, girls could start playing, so we had mixed football. Um, we had two young girls start in the in that team, and they played up to the age of 12, uh, I think, 11 or 12. And then there was a girls' team, so they went across to a girls' team by the time they were 12. But um, that was – it was probably one of my – most fondest memories as a coach, um, just growing up in the community, uh, not just in Byron, but just in that football community. It was a family. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I was the best football uh, footballing coach, but uh, I just made sure everyone had a lot of fun, me included. <laughs> I reckon there's a message in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> everyone having some fun. Got, got to love that. T yeah. Tell us, this This isn't about you, you, your playing career, but it, it, I understand that um, you couldn't play with the girls, um, but at 12 you were allowed to play in the women's team because I'm yeah. assuming they assumed that you were physically developed enough to cope with it then. It, yeah. Is that the case? And, and ha you know, how did that happen? Because I think you, you then also, a few years down the track, ended up coaching that same team as well. Yeah, so... Um... As I said, I came back from England as a nine, ten-year-old, and her, my best friend um, who played, his mum and dad were a part of the committee at the Byron Bay Football Club, and they um, were trying to get me involved in the same age group, um, but the the rules at the time wouldn't allow uh, girls to play with boys. Um, so they tried for two years um, before then they got permission for me to play in the women's um, first division in Lismore because um, I think at the time as well, and I could be wrong, that there was two associations at that time, the Women's Soccer Association and the Football Association, so we yeah. were separate. Um, so, yeah, they deemed that I was um, okay to play uh, in an adult competition. Um, so as a 12-year-old, I was, I was playing. I didn't stay playing too long. Um, I, I think it was maybe physically I was okay, but emotionally and psychologically maybe not old enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I, I played for maybe two seasons and then uh, was like, no, I, I, I'm not enjoying it. There's, none of my friends are playing. I don't know these adults. They're all as old as my mum. Yeah, so from there that's when I I think I went into coaching and, and to be fair that's 
where I enjoy and where I get a lot of the, the passion from. Yeah. Um, just because the playing opportunities just weren't there um, as a kid. So I never really, I've, I've mean, I've fallen in love with the game, but as a player, it's, I, I don't see the game as a player. I'm, I see the game as a coach. Mm. Has that been a part of what's driven you on to, to make sure there's more opportunities for women and girls? I think so. Um, I, I keep going back and go, how come I followed this path? And I think it's because it's just, and I, there's two words I always use, and it's access and opportunity. And as a kid, I didn't have the opportunity and I definitely didn't have the access, but I did have the opportunity and the access to coaching by the time I was 15, 16 years old. So I think it's about how do you create better pathways, um, better introductions, um, and just seeing that there's uh, opportunities for anybody who wants to participate in anything. Um, uh, I'm fortunate where I've, I've been able to drive a career out of it, but um, I think everything that I do is more about how do you provide a better access, how do you provide better opportunities, and when you're on that path, how do you be, develop that? How do you create a, uh, a proper development? You look at player development, and age groups, they've got from sixes all the way through to senior age groups. But in women's football, that doesn't exist in many countries. Um, yeah. You've got age groups and really key age groups in development that are missing. So as a coach, as a female coach, if you're involved in the women's game, you miss that same um, important pathway as a coach because they don't exist in the pathway to coach. So you go yeah. from grassroots football to senior football. You don't go through a youth pathway. Yeah. Or you'll go from thirteen under thirteens to under seventeens, because nothing in the middle. And then there's specific, in my opinion, key areas as, as a coach that you need to also develop through those age groups. Yeah, you, you are still still young. If we cut you in half and count the rings, because that's how you <laughs> work out how old coaches are. Apparently, <laughs> you, you, you're young in years and 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 very wise. You, you must have been coaching for twenty five years. Yeah, it yeah, will be. That's yeah. No, that that that's a lot of coaching experience, um, and, and and maybe that's a significant part of why you're in the current role that you're in. C can you explain to us? Because most people sitting here, including me, are not really going to know what the senior technical development manager for women's football at FIFA does. What, what does that mean for you on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, lots of meetings. <laughs> 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 no, no. Um, basically, my role um, is to help develop um, development programs to develop the game. So, from a coaching path, from coaching programs to player programs um, to development, like we've got league development, women's football campaign, which is a grassroots participation program. Um, and then, obviously, outside of that, looking at ways of how we can help. Um, the game grow technically uh, and what sort of support is needed and required in and around um, member associations to enable that to happen. Um, I'm working on two really big projects at the moment um, which are still in the concept pay, uh, phase um, and pilot phase where we're directly working with member associations, national team coaches um, and looking at uh, ensuring, preparing, uh, ensuring that they're have the knowledge and the capacity to be able to prepare their national teams uh, to the level of what is required today in the women's game. Um, 
So basically my role is to have that input to influence technical development within the women's game from a global perspective. Um, and we ensure that all our programs are available to all 211 member associations. Yeah, that's wonderful. And look, c congratulations. Uh, you know, I think we um, here in Australia we can get we can be. There are plenty of people that are <laughs> Euro snobs, as, as they call them, saying you know football in Europe is is like the bee's knees. So to think that we've got, and most of it is, um, to think that we've got an Aussie sitting in such a key role for football and women's football is um, it's just remarkable. So congratulations and all power to you, Belinda. Thank you. Thank you. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't see it. I, I, I just see it as a role that uh, is an opportunity, um, and then getting the the ability to then have some influence on how you can create change is is yeah. one of the main reasons why I accepted the role. And um, I think being here, you, you do have that influence. And if I've got that opportunity that I can help someone else like myself be here and take over and do a better job than me, then or I'm. Um, I'll be happy for that uh, handover to happen. Um, it's yeah. just showing that someone from Australia, um, we're a young footballing nation. Um, you, if you drive yourself, you can actually be wherever you want to be. Yeah. And, and I know that you've used that influence. Well, I think you've had that influence. And when you were working in Guam as the, as the national TD and national coach there, I think you, um, you helped Carl Dodd in the game. Yeah, yeah. There's a few Aussies now that I've uh, I've brought into the game, um, yeah. but no, it's it's good. It's just opening doors, and then um, it's not just opening a door for for your mate, but you, you've got to open doors and create that opportunity. And once you're in there, you, you've got to do the work. And if you do the work, um, things will happen. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people in Australia that can and should be doing um, other stuff outside uh, the country uh, and could be in decision-making roles, um, not only for uh, football in Australia but for the, the region um, and obviously from a global perspective. There's, I can tell you there's, uh, there's a few more Aussies here in Zurich. I'm starting yeah. to meet them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. We've got people like um, Ange Postacoglu at Celtic. We've got um, Tanya Oxleby now uh, at Chelsea. So there are, there are people coaching in Europe, um, yep. which is fantastic news. Do you, do you think the, the stocks of Australian coaches are – well, sorry, let me rephrase the question. Um, we spoke to Michael Valkanis on the show a couple of weeks ago, who's obviously assistant men's coach with Greece. Uh, his opinion was he was quite categoric that, you know, there's there's lots of good coaches, men and women coaches in Australia, that could hold down full-time jobs in Europe. Yep. That's where he believes the quality of Australian coaches. Do you think that's a, a fair statement? 100%. I think um, the education that we have in Australia from a footballing sense is is quite good um, when you compare it across the region and when you compare it globally. Uh, and then you look at the likes of Tanya, you look at the likes of Ange, you look at um, other coaches that are uh, currently having coaching roles, whether they're uh, support coaching roles or the head, the head coach. There's plenty of Australians um, who can easily come into this environment and make a career. Um, it's not easy, though. Um, yeah. You come in and... Uh, you have to fight for everything and it's a very, very competitive job. But I think we have the, the mindset and we also have the determination to prove people wrong. 
Um, and I think from an educational and an experience perspective, if we've got some top Australian coaches out there um, in the NPL land that can't crack it in the A-League uh, because that opportunity hasn't come, come about, going overseas is an opportunity to grow and develop to maybe come back with that experience and um, with a bit of reputation behind you to get back into the A-League or back into Australian football. Um, yeah. But I think there's it's just about taking a chance, taking that risk, calculated risk, but taking it and then um, doing all you can to succeed. Mm. And I think, you know, if you want to be a full-time coach, essentially that means you've got to be prepared for a lifestyle that requires you to travel, whether that's around Australia or around Australia and Asia or Australia and Europe or the, or the world, don't you? It's just part of the part of the gig. Hundred percent. I mean, if I my own, if I use my own myself, I, I've spent maybe 12, 13 years outside of Australia, uh, full-time coaching, administration roles. If I had a state in Australia, I wouldn't be able to be in the position that I'm in today, but I wouldn't be in football full-time. Um, yeah. Those opportunities aren't there yet, but uh, what I did was I took a risk. Um, and sometimes I landed uh, quite heavily because <laughs> I made the wrong decision, but those things you learn from and you develop and you make sure you don't do those uh, same mistakes. But I think um, I think more Australians should should take uh, take the opportunities to come overseas because it just gives you a different perspective. So how, how should they do that? How does a how does your uh, an Australian male or female coach that maybe is working in MPL land, maybe they're an assistant coach in the W League or the A League? How would they go about that? Is there a a recognised pathway of doing that, or is it just about knocking on doors? I don't think. I mean, I think that the, there's a recognised pathway um, emerging, like with agents and stuff who can open the door for you. Um, but I don't think it's truly that one way to do go about and do things. Um, I I keep going back to in terms of the network. I mean, I I had a network in Australia that gave me the opportunity to, for my m first move to go overseas. It was them that, that that brought that opportunity to me. Yeah. And then when I was overseas, I obviously was in an environment where my network grew um, globally. And um, being in various tournaments and seeing the people, seeing the same people talking to different people created more opportunities and more networks. And then just hearing about through that network, I was hearing about opportunities and that's where I was starting to apply for different roles. And um, some I got, some I didn't. Um, yeah. But I think for me, that's that's what I used. It was very indirect. It wasn't clear. Um it wasn't, um, I'm going to go and do this job so I can go and do this job so I can go and do that job. It was just, oh, here's an opportunity. It's interesting. It's challenging. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll see. It's not coaching, but it's still in football. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I did it. But I think that's starting to change just because there's more, there's starting to become more and more opportunities. I think networking is key. Um, but now I think with the agents that are involved in the game um, from a coaching perspective, that's also one way, but it's one that I've never used. Yeah. No need. Just jet-setting around the world because you're good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Belinda, can I ask, obviously, I'm, I'm going to guess that you coached uh, in the early part of your career for a fair while without a formal coaching qualification. Is that the case? And then following on from that, when how did you get into that formal coach education process and, and has that all been in, in Australia? Um, I did my first coaching badge at 16. 
Wow. Um, through the club, they gave me my junior license. Um, then I went on and did my youth. Uh, and at the time, it was the state state license. Um, and then I did my A, my B and A license in Australia. Um, I'm now looking at doing my UEFA. Um, whilst I'm living in Europe, I think it's a good opportunity for me mm. to just just compare. Yeah. Um, and then obviously learn the little golden nuggets that you do when you you go back and, and redo it all again. Um, yeah. So I'll start here doing my hopefully my B license. Um, and then hopefully go on to, to the pro over the next few years. But uh, I think in Australia, I, I mean, I was lucky. I had a club that was very, very supportive with Byron. Um, and they uh, also saw that every coach within their system needed to have a, a coaching badge. Um, yeah. And they provided that opportunity in terms of education. So I was lucky. Um, and then Northern New South Wales uh, Soccer Federation, um showed me that there was a pathway for coaching in terms of what licenses I needed um, to, to go towards the elite uh, level. So I started on that pathway quite young. Yeah. Do you think there's a, is there a difference between coach education in Europe and coach education in Australia? Um, I can't say yes and I can't say no just because I haven't been involved in any courses at the moment, but the pathways are similar. Um, yeah. I'm currently looking at the different um, requirements from different uh, confederations in terms of the coaches' convention, and there's a big difference, massive difference in terms of the requirements from one confederation to another. Um, yeah. I've just uh, went through UEFA's and they're quite detailed, um, and there's a lot of uh, criteria that that has been set. And they also have that split. So you have, when you go from B license, you can go into a, a youth A or a senior A. Um, so then there's there's quite a few different more levels in terms of um, footballing, but that depends on the career that you have. And obviously in yeah. Europe, the academies are quite strong um, and that youth development is quite strong. So they look for youth coaches, not senior coaches, because obviously coaching youth and senior is quite different. Um, yeah. Other confederations don't have, like, um, other confederations have far less, like maybe only five or six criteria that need to be set. So I think the range of um, topics, curriculum is different, but yeah. I think it always comes back down to, with any education, it comes down to the person who's leading that education, who's the teacher, yeah. who's the educator. Uh, how engaged uh, do they make the participants? Because I think with education, it's more about, well, here's an overview of what we need to learn, but it's up to the individual to go and actually go off and spend that time to learning outside the classroom and just come back in and just it's almost like a referral. Oh, yeah, I, I caught that. Oh, I didn't catch that. I need to learn about that. So I write that down, go off and yeah. learn that, come back. Um, so it really comes down to the educators, in my opinion, not so much the, the curriculum base. Yeah. You've got to drive interest. <laughs> and keep it. Yeah. As a, as a coach, which coach coaches have had the most influence on you? Oh, that's a really tough question. Thank you. <laughs> um. <clears throat> 
I suppose in my um, – I didn't really have any coaches as a young coach to look up to apart from the uh, coaches at the club who were friends and family. Yeah. Um, I suppose a, a coach back home, Peter Ware, um, he was a – uh, on the men's side, he was also uh, a coach for the under sixteen Northern New South, uh, yeah, Northern New South Wales team. Uh, he lived in Bangalore. Um, I looked up to him, and he really helped me cross from um, boys uh, men's boys football to women's football in terms of elite. He got yeah. me onto the elite pathway. Um, I'd say uh, Tom Samani had a really big influence. Um, just because at the time he was the coach of the, the Matildas and um, especially when I was in Asia, um, yeah. I would see him a lot uh, at the different tournaments and watch the girls play. Um, and then I'd have to look at the, and I, I know you're not going to like this, Gary, but <laughs> Sir Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't everyone... go past Sir Alex. <laughs> Everyone loved Manchester United when Sir Alex was in charge. Yeah, I still like Man United. I know they're going through a tough time, but um, but no, I think Sir Alex probably had a um, not. He probably helped me develop um, more of this the style I was looking for um, to play. Once I understood what what was required in terms of how you get your team uh, to play a certain way, and then. Um, I think from the women's side, it was strange because um, the only co coach that I knew and really helped me as a kid, um, especially when I was going into the Northern New South Wales representative size, was Connie Selby. Um, she was all was always invited to camps and she was always there helping me. Um, yeah. And she was the only other female coach in Australia that I knew at the time. Um and then the other coaches would be like Hope Powell and Vera, um, who I met while I was at the uh, 2007 World Cup. And they have been influential uh, throughout my career. And Tina Tyne, who's the German uh, coach who won the World Cup in 2003, uh, was also another coach that I met um, in 2007. I think it was just for me was incredible because all of a sudden I'm sitting in a room full of female coaches who have really marked a spot on the development of the game um, up until then. And some of them are continuing to do so. Some is, some of them are still either in coach education roles or uh, still coaching national teams uh, or at club football. So that was the first time I really saw like more than one female coach in one room. And it was just crazy. Um, for me, I was just like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be here, but I am and I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. Good on you. So tell me then, what is coaching? Oh, coaching. Um, it's a journey um, full of ups and downs and um, you, you, I think – you, as a coach, you you belong to a family, and that's a family within um, the coaching fraternity. But it's also uh, a family within the club that you're at. That club becomes a part of your family, um, and then obviously the team that you have it can becomes a really tight knit family. And I think it's uh, as a coach, you have 
certain responsibilities um, where you're not only teaching a footballing sense, but you're, you're helping guide and develop values. Um, and I think that's that's coaching. It's not it's it's teaching the technical, the tactical, the physical. But uh, in essence, it's it's teaching people to to have really nice values and strong values. And um, yeah, I think uh, and the way I I work, it's more family orientated. So it's always that community. Let's bring everyone together, and that's what a coach can do. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. You, not long before heading to Zurich, a few months before, you were appointed as the, the men's coach at Byron Bay Football Club in, who play in the, the, the local Premier League up there. How was that? That's uh, I think it says you were the first female to be appointed as to, to that role um, in FFNC. I'm going to guess well that probably... <laughs> a, <laughs> it's easier than trying to remember what it stands for. <laughs> Uh, but I just keep on adding Queensland to the end of it, and I know that that's really no, 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 please people, don't. So I'll, I'll leave that. <laughs> we live below um, the border. <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh yes, yes, uh, a women's a, a woman coaching uh, a men's Premier League team w- would have appeared to be impossible five years ago, maybe. Um, it, it's it's you did it for a period of time before heading off to Zurich. How how was that experience? Is it? Is it any different? Is that a mindset thing? How do you, how did you cope with that? Yeah, I think um, I, I was surprised that it became good <laughs> big news that I was the first female to be appointed, and I was like, oh, it's not about being a female; it's about just being a coach, coach who yeah. who has the experience and the qualifications to enable to 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 coach at, at that level. Um, at the beginning, I thought. Uh, for me, I, it was a full circle. Like I started at the club, and now I was able to coach the first team in the men's men's side. And funnily enough, some of those boys I was coaching at, uh, when they were six or seven years old. So <laughs> <laughs> it was literally full circle. <laughs> what goes around comes around. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I also think that helped because they'd already been coached by a female. So, and they knew me, and. Um, they're, they're the ones that came in and, and got me um, to come and coach. Um, the club was really, really supportive and they didn't see uh, the gender being an issue. Um, I remember my first training session where we were doing some uh, trials uh, for the first team and the championship team and we had like 60 guys turn up. Wow. And I'm sitting here going... <laughs> 60 guys okay uh we've got one field okay what am I going to do <laughs> so I think that was the biggest challenge I had was just the amount of players that were just trying to get into a team whereas in the women's game we don't have those numbers um yeah. very rarely do you have um, more than 30 40 players turning up um it's in women's game it's almost you're selecting yourself at community football, it's you, if you've got twelve girls turning up, you're, you're stoked. Um, but to have that many people turn up um, was fantastic. Um, and when we started training, the one thing I obviously through the, the coaching that we've done, I've done, and the level I've coached, sometimes you get lost and you forget about having the fun. 
because it's so planned and everything's like you got to do this, then you got to go do this, then you got to go do this, and then we've got a game, then you come back and you repeat. And you forget the fun aspect. What the boys did for me was remind me to have fun um, and to enjoy it. And um, I think we had a difficult season because it was COVID. Um, I think we trained in isolation for half the season. So coming up with drills where you couldn't defend and um, or you couldn't uh, tackle or anything like that was a little bit strange and frustrating for everybody. But what happened during that season was we became a family and a strong family. Um, and then the football that we were playing uh, at that, like, and with all due respect, it's community football, yeah. but the level of football that was being played um, was quite high. Um, and when I look back, and I, I still want to give back to the to the region because the region has done so much for me. Um, I think the biggest thing um, in rural uh, Australia in terms of football is we need to do more around coach education. Um, it's the biggest gap that we have uh, for grassroots and youth football um, because every time I kept seeing um, the opposition play or even watching the club at club football, watching the kids train, I'm just like, we've got to do better with coach education. And the whole time that we were there, I know it was COVID, but there was no access to Coach Ed. And for me, that's uh, that's a crime because you're not offering anyone an out. You're not offering anyone to improve. Um, you're not providing any more knowledge. Um, and that that needs to change. I think you, yeah. access to coach education in, in metropolitan areas is easy, but in the rural areas, it's not so easy. Yeah. It, that, that's obviously a... Um a significant role that Football Coaches Australia can play. Um, it, it seems to me that in, in the main, coach licensing has is the domain of Football Australia and the member feds. Um, ongoing uh, education, how coaches get better. We give it's a bit like giving a putting an 18-year-old through a driver's license. You get a yeah. license, you get access to the road, it doesn't make you a great driver. And 100%. we all know that you've said here, you know, you, you learn how to make the right decisions by making the wrong decisions along the way. That's it. Um, in the wonderful world of coaching, a few wrong decisions in a row can cost you a job. And, you know, you yep. can fix that up as long as you have another opportunity. But the, the, do, do you you were on the Executive Committee of Football Coaches Australia yep. until you had to give that up to take that role. But do you, do you see that that's a, a big place for Football Coaches Australia? 100%. Um, I think the work that we were doing when I was there and the work that you guys are continuing to doing, I think is key to help the development um, of all coaches uh, and the access to the information is easy because the way that you, you've uh, put the presentations or you, you put things together. Um, the biggest thing that I found um, working in, in Oceana, uh, we've got a pilot project going there now where we have mentors working with uh, the coaching staff and that's we're providing information that they've never had access to. Mm. And they're so thirsty and they want to know more and they're there and we have 30, 40, 50 people turning up at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night online wanting to listen and wanting to know more. And then there's questions coming back to us going, oh, when's the next one? When's the next one? And I think that's where Football Coaches Australia has a real um, – can really support uh, coaches uh, in rural areas because – 
you have the ability and you have access to a network that can provide that information that, that's desperately needed and wanted. Yeah. It's just that they don't know how to access it. Do you, do you think that, you know, <laughs> Zoom meetings have been the saviour of coach education in the last, best part of the last two years? Um, coach education, um, the way that I remember it in my head, it was a long time ago now and I'm a bit of a dinosaur, I do get that. <laughs> but, but, so much of no, the magic. <laughs> Thank you. I'll send you the check. Checks in the mail. No worries. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so much of the that, that great coach education did happen in the classroom, but so much of it happened out on the pitch and at the meetings that followed the stuff that happened out on the pitch. Do, do, do you think that's the case and do you think we'll get back to that? Do you think that's an important part of ongoing coach education? Yeah, I think on the ground, um I mean, the classroom is great. It's needed. Uh, it gives you a framework. Um, but the, the real learning happens on the pitch. So it's, it's almost how do, we, um, how do we continue that development when you're on the pitch? What, what can we do? How can we do it? Um, and I, th I suppose it's, it's more being creative in terms of what, um, what can we do. I think um, being mic'd up, um, having the video and watching it and then um, going back into what we're doing now in terms of Zoom calls and teams and what have you, you can create breakout rooms and dissect um, small clips uh, and then have those discussions online. Uh, you can bring that to uh, communities that don't have access. Um, I think there's a hybrid approach and I think what we've learned through covid uh, yes, it's been disruptive. Yes, it hasn't been all that pretty in terms of uh, how do you do the practical aspect. But I think um, by being creative, and most coaches that I know are very creative, they're, so, they're, solution, they're people who find solutions. So I think we can find a, a, a way or a method that can help bring the pitch to, to, the, uh, to the screen and through that you can get some sort of learning and then they bring that learning back onto the pitch and it's just that ongoing um, yeah. aspects. And that's something in my career that I um, really missed was to have someone or to have people to actually engage with, to challenge thinking. Um, and I think if you have that and can create, create that uh, environments, whether it's online or in the classroom, um, then then you've got a really, really rich learning environment. But if you can't create that, then the learning is only what you're showing. So it's a slide. Yeah. Um, but I think it's more about building that trust, building um, that relationship, um, and then getting into an area, a space where you can actually start to challenge each other. And I think it's yeah. only in my last, maybe well, since I started, stopped coaching um, and became the administrator that I'm actually seeing the benefit of being challenged, the environment I'm in now, the team that I work in, um, we are such a high-performing team and I say that because the team is so balanced. We challenge each other's thinking in a way where we're trying to improve people not to, to take the legs from underneath them. Yeah. And that's something that I've not really experienced throughout my career. I've always mm. been challenged, but it's been in the wrong way. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, hang on, they're, they're, you're judging me on my knowledge or my experience or are you trying to 
challenge me because um, you've got a different opinion. No, you're challenging me because you don't think I'm good enough. Okay, no problem. But here, I don't have that. Like I've, the support that I have here is amazing. And if I had that in my coaching career, if I had that, yeah. um, the teams that we would have been uh, would have been amazing. Because mm. as a coach, you would have learnt so much. Yeah, what a great environment. We, we had a chat with uh, Kath Canuli a couple of weeks ago, and and she was talking about that being in that coach's environment where Sydney Wanderers, where she's got you know um, the 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 male coaching team and other coaches, assistant coaches, there's five or six of them in the room and they're talking about football essentially most of the time. You know what it's like. It's hard to, yeah. hard, to hard to not to get back to football. And she just said it's just this wonderful learning environment where you're bouncing ideas off of one another and none of them are right and none of them are wrong. They're ideas and they might work for this coach with this team in this situation, but they 100%. might not work for this coach or that team in this situation. So, yeah, look, I, 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 I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Today's guest is Belinda Wilson, who's, um, I have to read this every time, Senior Technical <laughs> Development Manager, Women's Football in FIFA, uh, who's just sharing her love of football uh, and her wonderful football wisdom uh, with us today. Um. Has, I know you're in an administrative role now and you're spending more time coaching coaches and, and talking about player development than ever before, but how has your coaching changed over your coaching journey? You obviously started a long, long time ago as a very as a young teenager. How, how has it, it changed in the, the most significant ways over the journey? I think um, especially my life, the year that I spent at Byron, um, I kind of went back to my roots literally but in terms of my coaching um as i said to you before it was i went through uh i suppose it was a bit of the pressure and the the level that you're at and the expectations that you you need to have all these plans ahead and you need to be in details and i do all that and I'm, i've got the plan but um i think what i do now when i'm on the pitch with the with the players it's more to have and build that relationship um where you build that trust um yeah. and it's not so it's the the important bit is your planning and and the organization and getting things right but the most important bit which is a bit that i lost through my career um was building that relationship with the players yeah. uh, and how you do that and i kind of when, when i was with the boys um it was something that I really, really tried to do. Now I had Argentinians, I had Brazilians, who are all very passionate people, <laughs> and they're they're demanding, and they speak different languages, and they're talking to each other on the pitch. And but to bring them all in, um, it was the the one thing that we had was just to bring them in and and be that family. And I think what I've done over my coaching career now is just realise that. When you come in as a team, whether it's a, the staff that you're working with or the players, it's creating a, a relationship of trust and enabling the players to have a say and have a say in the direction they and how they want to play. Um, and then building something that's principle-based uh, instead of position-based. And I think this, that's the biggest thing that for me I've changed in my career from coming from, I'd say, from Brisbane where 
a lot of my coaching was basically position-based because I was going back on terms of my coach education from the A license that I did, and that was a key thing, to uh, taking that on board and going, it worked, but it didn't work at Brisbane. I had some, my, when I reflect on my first season, it was a fun season. We had um, a lot of success. Then it kind, we kind of struggled and went up and down a little bit, and then there's there's reasons why that happens in a team. And then when I went to Guam and then I went to back to the boys, it was more, okay, let's let's bring everyone together, let's see what we've got, and then let's get that balance right on and off the pitch. Yeah. And I think for me it's just really bringing it that, those principles back into play, teaching those principles because those are the things that most of the young players that I've coached don't understand because they don't watch a lot of football um, and yeah. they're, they're not – um, they're not coached in that way as youth players. Yeah. Um, and I think if we, it, for me, it's all about providing those principles within the coaching session and then bringing that balance of um, fun, in the fun element so that everyone goes home with a smile on their face. And yeah. I think that's the most important part. And I think that's the biggest thing that's changed. I like that a lot. That's good. Good on your coach. like that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, Linda, why do you do it? Why do you coach? I love it. I, I can't give you one reason. Um, I just enjoy it. I think I enjoy the challenge. Um, I, I, I'm a problem solver. Um, I think if you talk to a lot of my friends and my family, they, they just say I, I, I seek challenges. Um, and I see football as a challenge. I see the game as a challenge. I see um, how can we improve? How, how can we beat that op- opponent? Um, when I was, I remember having a conversation with the, uh, one of the Matilda coaches a couple of years ago, and we just lost to Sydney um, FC in the. It was in the last group stage, uh, the league game, and uh, I was so disappointed. And she goes, "What's wrong?" She goes, "You're disappointed because you lost." And I said, "No, I'm, I mean, I'm disappointed, but I'm lost. But I'm not disappointed. I'm lost. I'm disappointed. I can't play them again." <laughs> because I've got to wait another 12 months before I can play them again. And I want to, I want to solve the problem that, that we had in that game. And I can't because I can't play them again. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I think that's why I love coaching because I just love to solve a problem. Yeah. Oh, I like and, that. Yeah. It's, but I just love it. I mean, it, it, where else do you get to go out uh, and enjoy uh, a fun game of football or a fun game with 22 other people. I mean, you just jump on the field and it doesn't matter where you're at, what language you speak, um, and you, you can just play and everyone yeah. enjoys it. So I think that's why I like it. The international language. Yeah, yeah exactly. The it's, got me through all the, it's got me through all the different countries that I've been in. <laughs> And pays a bill or two. That's always good. Yeah, it's, well. helped, it's helped pay a bill or two, yes. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I know you're, you're you're now well entrenched in FIFA and I, I can't imagine you have too many hours to be outside of this, but have, have any of coaches from other sports influenced you in any way? Have you taken anything from other invasion type sports and any any learnings or things that you've picked up along the journey? Um to be honest, no, because I really haven't had the opportunity to, to um, which is something that 
we now, in terms of what I do now, is I, I really look into. So I've been speaking to um, a volleyball coach uh, who's now a, an educator. Um, I've uh, reached out to um, the rugby, rugby union uh, coaches as well um, just to see more so the methodology in terms of the coaching, understand yeah. what they're doing, um, understand the mindset understand how they bring teams together um but it's more what i'm finding when i speak to these guys it's not so much the technical tactical aspects it's creating that environment mm -hmm. so how do you create that learning environment um yeah. within within the classroom within a zoom within the within the field it's no it's not so much um the game itself um teaching the game because obviously the different codes have uh different ways of, uh, of, of playing different sports. But <clears throat> the essence is how do you create that environment for learning and what's the best? Mm. So by talking to these different um, educators from different sports, that's what I'm getting now. And I wish I had that uh, throughout my coaching career. Um, yeah. But I was football. I was just locked on football. <laughs> <laughs> so is that more in the leadership and culture space really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How they're making that work? Yeah, yeah. Especially in the culture stuff, uh, leadership is always there. But uh, in terms of building the right culture, and I, I, I go back on terms of it all starts with values. Yeah. So it's value driven. Everything that we do, um, uh, and then the, the, so yeah, the foundations is values, and we build everything up. And I think everyone I've spoken to in the high performance area, it's it's very similar. Like people in England, people uh, in Germany, it's like this is the key area. If we get this right, then everything else is is built pretty easily. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, you've coached around the world now, um, been at home into Asia, back home again, Norway, back again. And I'm sure there's plenty of ups and downs in the way that living away from family how how important is developing resilience been for you on your journey? Uh, it's probably been one of the most important um, things that I've had to do. Uh, being away, from, and especially, I suppose, even more so now, um, whereas before when I've gone overseas, I, it's easy to come home. Um, I buy a ticket whenever I want. I organise time off and I can come back yeah. home to Australia. But this year... I remember when I was leaving, I was very apprehensive about leaving and it wasn't because I was moving to a different country, different job. It was I didn't know when I was going to be able to come home um, because of the COVID situation. So I think resilience is one of the key things as a coach, as a player, anybody uh, really needs to develop um, because it does become very tough when you're isolated, it does become, you do have moments where you go, why did I do that? Why did I make this decision? Why am I here? Um, and then you have days where you're absolutely loving it and don't care. Um, but to have, uh, to be resilient is for me has obviously I've, I've developed that over the years, but um, I wouldn't be able to be here today if I didn't have that because I still don't know when I, when I can come home. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still yeah, trying, to, trying to see what happens in New South Wales if the government's actually going to allow me to come home. 
No, they're talking about it. Hey, Melbourne's out of, we've had, we're just out of 268 days of lockdown. Yeah. It's, it's, today's our first day of freedom. Well done. Just, just Congrat- why, why are you talking yeah, to me then, Gary? <laughs> you should be you. out. It's Friday night. Uh, <laughs> commitments. No, I did catch up with my old mate Ernie Merrick and his wife for lunch oh, and a cup of coffee today. Nice. So that was nice. First, I think first time I've had coffee in a piece of China for about 18 months. Wow. So that was good. <laughs> We're on the downhill run here, Belinda. A couple of questions to go. So right now, what does success for you look like? Sorry, what was that? I missed that one. What does success look like? Oh, a smile on your face. (laughs) (laughs) My face. Yeah. (laughs) Success. um, I think success, for me, it's, um, it's the small things. Um, people say, oh, you're really successful. I look at myself and say, well, no, no I'm, I'm not successful. Um, I'm still on that journey um, and I'm still trying to find uh, different successes in different areas. So success for me if I, in terms of the role that I'm at is ensuring that um, there's more opportunities and more access to, to the game um, from a playing perspective, coaching perspective, administration perspective making sure that there's pathways um, available for further development and growth. Um, I think within the game, we, from both the men's men's and women's, I think we have so much success or different success stories out there. You look at your own success, it's like, what can I do and what can, how can I do that better? Um, yeah. And then it's those small steps that you make that gets you further and for me every step in the right direction is a success it's not the end picture um it's how you got there and it's those those steps in between um i think for me provides that success and if i look at the jobs that i'm doing now and the projects that i'm working on now um i think if i can have member associations have annual programs set for their national teams um, where they've got their girls coming in on a regular basis. Uh, they've got their girls playing in uh, regular competitions domestically or f- in foreign leagues. Um, then this project is a success, but it's only one small part of the whole success. It's only one part. It's only one chapter. <clears throat> but if everyone's doing their job right, then that one chapter that I'm working on and my colleagues are working on something over here, it builds a broader that broader picture, that broader game, and then the game becomes really successful. Um, so yeah, Gary, it's it's not an easy question to ask. It's I think for me, it's nah. just the small steps that I make towards creating for that nine-year-old girl to be able to play football. Uh, I like I like that a lot. And we always ask the tough questions on here, Belinda. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> And if you believe that, I've got a second-hand car for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get it to Zurich? Is it a right-hand drive? <laughs> yeah. So let's come back to your coaching career briefly for a minute. So tell me, do you coach the FIFA administrators? Do they play in like a community comp? Are you the coach or are you the, the playing it's, coach of that team? Or? It's funny because um, there is a – we do have a, 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 a teams here, boys and, and girls team, called FIFA United. <laughs> And I think that's very funny because if you break it down just to, to, to two letters, it's quite funny, but I won't go there. Um, but uh, I was asked recently 
because the coaches of the girls' teams, he broke his collarbone um, and then they didn't have a coach. So my one of our new colleagues who's just joined the team, Arbaneta, she's like, Belinda, you're coaching. I said, sorry. She says, oh, we need a coach. And I'm like, I don't have time to coach. <laughs> She goes, no, no. And then she gave me this sob story about the coach who broke his collarbone and we've got a bunch of girls who just want to play and, and don't have a coach. So whenever, whenever anyone gives me a sob story, I can't say no. So I've, uh, I've uh, started coaching, I think, two, three weeks ago, just the FIFA United girls. Um, and apparently we've got a game next month against UEFA. And I'm like, really? Can I get more than three girls turning up for training then? <laughs> Is that an away league? Do away goals still count double in those games? Or? I don't think so. They squashed it. UEFA squashed the away goal. <laughs> oh, it's good. Good to see you back doing doing what you really love, uh, coaching. Players. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 actually a lot of fun. There's obviously the uh, you come to FIFA and you think there's there's a lot of people who play football, but then you realise no, they're all there's some people who who have played and they've had a really good playing career, and now in the administration and they 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 come and join, but there's also a lot of them who are just first timers, yeah. And it's just a really good mix. Um, so I'm still trying to coach first timers and superstars. So it's nothing's changed. <laughs> That's it. You were not going to get too carried away with yourself then. That's good. No, no. <laughs> All right. Final question for you today. If you had one piece of wisdom that you could share with coaches, what would that be? Ooh. Don't be afraid to take a risk, whether that's, I think, um, from a coaching perspective, if you think you've got something that will unlock, but it's a risk, don't, don't be afraid to take it. Um, I think uh, go out there and challenge yourself to see what you can be, who you are um, as a person, but also as a coach. I think that's what coaching can also provide you is you actually find out who you are as a person because you, you're can be involved in um, moments that bring out either the best or the worst of you. So I think it's just take the opportunity and just take a risk. Um, the worst thing that can happen uh, is that you, you you start where you, you end up where you started, and sometimes that's not a bad place to be. Um, for for everything that I do, uh, I keep going back and I say, well, if it doesn't work out here, I can always go back home to Byron, pick up my surfboard. And go for a surf. I'm happy about that because <laughs> if that's the worst that can happen to me, that's the worst that can happen. <laughs> I love it. What a wonderful place to finish. Belinda Wilson, Senior Technical Development Manager, Women's Football at FIFA. Thank you very much. Appreciate you getting up early in the morning to talk to us and just uh, love your wisdom. Uh, you've got a wealth of football knowledge. Uh, in that head of yours and you're doing wonderful things for football and women's football in particular uh, across in autumnal Zurich. So keep up the great work, Belinda. Thanks very much, Gary. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, go to footballcoaches.com org.oz, no, footballcoachesoz.org.au, buy a membership, renew membership, just find out more about us as an organisation or try and get some common sense, more than I can offer you. You have a great day.